I showed up in boots and ruined your black tie affair. The last one to know, the last one to go, I was the last one you thought you'd see there. And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes when I took his glass of champagne. I toasted you, said darling, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain, cause I got friends in those places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away, and I'll be okay. Now I'm not good at social graces, guess I'll slip on down to the oasis cause I got friends in low places. How's everybody doing? So bear with me. I'm going to go, I'm going to go deep with this one. I'm going to follow some of the, uh, some of like the, uh, what do you call it? The epistemological stuff, you know, or no, uh, that's not the word. Phenomenology. That's it. The phenomenological stuff, the most goofy shit. But I really feel like this is part of my, I mean, I, I realize that at the end of the day, what I am doing with this series is therapy. Boils down to therapy. Like trying to heal like the pain that I feel. Like alleviate the pain of my life through talking about it. And of course, that's true of all ther- social media. It is therapeutic. And uh, we've created a new genre of therapy, which is like a, a collective group therapy where we talk to each other and then use what we hear to inform ourselves and change our relationship to our pain. And like... I think what people imagine they're doing when they do politics online is that they are participating in a program of alleviating some of the pain in their lives through pursuing control over their lives. I think that's the motivation that gets people to communicate politically on the internet. Like if we get this, if we get this out of here, if we explain our pain in a way that makes sense of it, because that's what therapy is supposed to be, right? It takes the fear an anxiety of not knowing why you're doing something, why you're feeling some way, what's going on, with the, the, the calm and the centeredness of feeling like you understand what's happening to you. And politics is about creating a structure that allows for understanding to accumulate. Now, the reason it doesn't is because we live in this inverted Gnostic iron prison where up is down. And all of the horrors that we uh, that make lives worse, all the things that hurt, 
not just humans, but everything in the universe as in, uh, as in like, or on earth rather, I should say, as in things that, uh, harm at the expense that create a, a, a pain that doesn't need to be there. All of that stuff is what builds our structures of social order and that we compete within politically, which means all we can ever do is create a new wound and then argue over how to treat it. We can never address the wound. We can only build a, uh, a symptomatic response. Like all of our political institutions under democracy are reactive. Problem pops up, we figure out a way to solve it. But the thing, but the assumption of that new thing existing is unchallengeable because it directly emerges from the social structures that we have that allow us to exist within these hierarchies in, in places that we would prefer to be rather than others. So we try to assert ourselves politically and make the world better, but we just end up dragging ourselves through this historical process that is governed by material forces beyond our control. We can only dimly uh, perceive them, and only in the backwash of events. We can only react. That's the problem is the culture, the counterculture to capitalist uh, like action is in the backdraft of it. it. Our structures exist to sustain it above all else, which means no matter what bad stuff happens under capitalism, we operate in a paradigm that can only address symptoms. But that just creates new problems. It just creates new wounds and new pathologies that then have to be addressed. Now, that is why political uh, structures in a given... um, Uh, mode of production over time collapse internally because they cannot adapt to changing conditions. And that is the whole uh, fundamental driver of all of this is the fact that you are going from a structure that accommodated one X number of people under Y amount of resources to one that is radically different. radically more complicated. And we create these incredibly intricate structures of coordinating resources and control on the top of this mindless engine of capitalism that refuses to accept that we are connected to the degree that our institutions are. Because we would not exploit each other the way we do if we felt that way. And we don't feel that way because we live immersed in a culture defined by inverted values where, where that which is uh, harmful is good. And I think the root for this, the root of this, is the fact that as human beings, as we come into like awareness of our bo- that our bodies exist, like that it is a separate thing from the universe that that is a provisional and arbitrary division. 
It is essentially there just so that the infinite unified universe can experience itself, basically. And what drives that is entropy, is change of energy in a system. And so humans emerge as these individual beings that have individual uh, best interests, like narrow survival instincts. And the body comes into the ability to arrange all of the stimulus that it gets on a, on a, on a plate from uh, most uh, pleasurable to least pleasurable. And then it coordinates where the pleasure comes, what doing what will reinforce the pleasure, make more pleasure happen, and what will reduce the bad feeling. And it is that binary relationship that defines early consciousness. So you are a being that feels sensation. Then it creates a moral world, an emotional world around those sensations. That is not, that is essentially the, the end result of a body trying to make sense of a feeling, as in turn a, uh, a bodily sensation into a more abstract, compact, symbolic technology that can essentially s- reduce the latency in that uh, sensation being perceived. Like you can turn that feeling, a very, very uh, subtle sensation, into a very densely packed uh, informational uh, uh, system that you can then use to create a world that allows you to rewire your relationship to uh, your ins- your uh, perceptions. Like if you feel good, you now have a whole complex of sim- systems and symbols telling you what good feels like and a whole bunch of symbols that tell you what bad feels like. And then you, as you feel good and bad, you apply one or the other to those feelings. Now, in the homeostatic relationship of early, early tribal man, there's lots of bad feelings. Feel, it sucks. Life is nasty, brutish, and short. But this is the important part. Those bad feelings are not associated with your tribe with the social order that you live in. All of the good things you feel, you associate with the tribe. So even though things suck objectively, it's a bad life to live. It causes violence. It causes uh, uh, hostility to other tribes and, and, and causes the kind of like unnecessary social conflict that gives rise to like machines of exploitation. But you are fundamentally still wedded to this social organism because that is where that residual feeling of oneness that we are all capable of sensing with our full capacity of sense, but which we basically can't to operate as individual beings. In order to be individual beings, we have to build this false idea of a self that is separate and viable and has a contained perspective. And that's necessary but it does not have to be all-consuming. We are living now in a world at the end of this process of, of civilizational uh, uh, development and class war and fight war over resources. Uh, we are now fully divorced from that. 
Like our, 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 if you're a first world subject, you have been so fully abstracted away from your actual body and its perceptions that you, and you are so stuck in a removed universe where you are like God, uh, that it is impossible to imagine living in that world. Because what happens at the end of that process and the, the system and the situation we face ourselves now with, every bad feeling that we feel, we associate with other people. We associate with the society we live in, the social order that undergirds it, the relationships that we have with others. That is where all of our misery comes from. The only pleasures that we register are pleasures of the self. Because there is this fundamental opposition, the same way that if you're thinking in tribal terms, the other tribe can only gain at your, uh, your loss, like a zero-sum situation, which happens as resource scarcity encroaches. At the, end, at the end of this system, at the end of that machine of civilizational uh, mechanisms and, and worked-out contradictions, you only feel pleasure. And selfish pleasure under capitalism can only be pursued selfishly as in motivating you to cooperate not with what you think you are cooperating with as a citizen as a leftist as an american as as a human being as a consumer within capitalism and everything else that is social that actually has a residue of 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 trans individualism uh is stamped with full alienation it is, uh, it, is, it is a monster to us. It, it, we, can only, uh, we can only ever be hurt from outside. And of course that's what happened because all the institutions that we were building to, to protect us and to keep us warm have over time failed to do so because we were never, once we created capitalism, we were, never ser- we were not serving our own desires. We were serving the desires of this algorithm because... If you have a hierarchical social order that is dominated on intimate, that is uh, defined by intimate exploitation of others' labor, as in making them feel more pain so that you can feel more pleasure, it gives you a lot of time and you and your friends a lot of time to sit around. And when you're sitting around, you have to justify your idleness. Not even just the guilt of knowing that what you're sitting on is on, on others' Labor, but the question of now what? What do I value at this point? What do I care about? And for a while, people in that situation, the burgeoning bourgeois, were wrestling with notions of like a transcendent God that they believed in. Or after that, a nation or an ethnicity or a set of ideas or or even adherence to a, a, a class. If you, they were part of like the radical bourgeois, imagining that they could be part of a, a, a working class led movement for human liberation. All those were live wires. All of those beliefs had institutions that people associated with that which is good in their lives. But now every institution has been fully alienated. And so we have the ghosts of these ideas. We have the skeletons of these old uh, notions because that's all we've been able to build. And now we're fighting in them. Like uh, history, as Mark said, is a nightmare weighing on the brains of the living. That's what he means by this, is that even though we are feeling intense alienation from capitalism, our ability to identify our pain has been fundamentally 
reversed. And the only thing that checks that historically has been a class politics, class consciousness, class conflict directed from a working class that is self-aware. And we had that once again. Part of the reason that we're all very confused at the end of history here is that a lot of us on the left are working with these structures, these ideas that we're live, that we're invested in institutions that people could identify with their uh, with their pleasure, with their their individual and 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 you know communal, because it's always a mix. It's very few pure psychopaths out there. It's like. We are having every moment to repress our humanity, and that's why we become neurotic. That's why we become uh, uh, racked with, uh, with this compulsion to undermine our pleasure because we feel guilty about it. You need class conflict because absent a self-interested class material formation, as in people who are working together to build institutions that then reinforce behavior. Because right now, all that we have that reinforces behavior is a mediated reality defined completely by capitalism and by market logic and by individualism that denies as irrational the conception of there being a real self-interest that is beyond the self. That is outside of the, it cannot be viewed. It is invisible now. To our, uh, to our systemic observation of the universe. We can cloud that. We can try to mess with it. We can commit ourselves formally to religious fanaticism, but it has to be fanatic to make up for the lack of belief at the heart of it. What you would need to defeat that historically has been the counter-hegemony that, that Gramsci identified where... People are having their experience marked not by just their interaction with the markets, but by their interaction with institutions governed by non-market logic and, in fact, anti-capitalist logic, like a militant working class. And, of course, it's very fitting that Gramsci was talking about Italy because he basically called how it went, a war of position between a hegemony, a capitalist hegemony in Italy among, uh, within its uh, bourgeois state, and then this counter-hegemony within the uh, massive uh, base of the uh, Italian Communist Party, which was able to build institutions like guild halls, recreation centers, uh, schools, radio stations, newspapers, uh, and, of course, a durable set of uh, political power structures that they had access to. There were communist mayors all over Italy who were able to exercise power through these institutions. Now, of course, this had to be destroyed. This is why you had Gladio. Because this was the biggest threat to the capitalist post-war order that we'd set up after World War II that had emerged because it was mass-based, because it generated its own uh, overriding behavioral structures, is what I'm saying. Because the individual cast in this lot is still obligated by simple self-preservation, the task of trying to come back into harmony, try to live according to uh, like a, a self-motivated sense that the good thing you're doing is the right thing that you should be doing. The good thing feels good. Rewiring essentially your brain 
so that it, it is not a question of of uh, indulging yourself and then feeling guilty about it because the guilt is part of the pleasure. This is the key. This is a key thing about the the neuroses of uh, of of middle class liberalism that defines everybody who is in the lap of capital right now. Even though they're feeling precarious and terrified, it is in a position where they feel like they have benefited from a system because they are wired in to a notion of self-interest that is deeply brown and is we all are though struggling against it it is a knot in our stomach that we're trying to untie it's just the tools at our disposal are the our own shoddy intuition made worse by the the conditions we live under of isolation and then social institutions that only reinforce behavior that that reinforces that belief So if you're operating from an understanding of yourself as part of a social unit, social organism that by its existence assumes a supernatural or transcendent power that you are in communion with, right? Because that's what faith is, right? That's the, it's, it's, it is the thing that doesn't show up in the x-ray because it is, cannot be described in sterile, sterile uh, symbols, because it is a temporally fixed moment in time when you felt something. Because the feeling is what you're actually being imprinted with. The thing you tell yourself happened is your brain figuring in this orthogonal world that you, that you experience. Because this is the key point that I'm trying to uh, make above all else with this, is that you're feeling good and you're feeling bad. Why you're feeling that, you can only guess at. Now, the more you're present in your body in the moment, the better you're able to guess. The more you are elsewhere, which means the more you are either, if idle, guiltily idle, or if busy, anguishly busy, forced to labor, doing unpleasant and painful and scary things. Those experiences literally are your identity. Those trauma points are your identity. And then you build a, a world out of them. But that world is an approximation. And because we are so often traumatized by, by the fact that our lives are defined by trauma and more trauma as time goes on because of uh, how much we're feeling unchanneled misery. Because feeling a bad sensation is not that bad. If you know why, and you know it's not a big deal, if you feel every pain as just this disembodied injury, over time you have to start, you have to explain where that's coming from. And if you are understanding what it is, you can act in a way that alleviates it. But if you don't understand what it is, all you can do is ignore it. And you can only ignore it by indulging in the stuff that is making things worse. It is distracting. Like, my, I, I always have now, after my leg spinal injury, I always have my entire right leg on fire with, uh, with nerve ending uh, inflammation. It's like, it's like it's all asleep. And that is just, that's a constant feeling I have. Now, I could, if I like sat and like really tried to feel it all the time, that would be unpleasant. But if I kept feeling it all the time, 
I would know where it came from, and I would be able to correlate more accurately the source of my bad feeling. Like, yeah, my leg hurts. It tingles. It's because of my spinal injury. That was permanent damage to the spine. Now, it sucks to do that. So the only other option, if you're not going to feel it, is to try to not feel it. And, like, if you're living a normal life, the easiest way to do that is try to ignore it. But to ignore a felt sensation of pain, you have to indulge some fantasy of pleasure. You have to be seeking pleasure like a goddamn hound dog. You're driven to it. And I think you're driven to it to some degree no matter how unpained you are. Like this is the defining characteristic of life. is It's, it's these sensations, good and bad, and then the, 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 the trauma of sitting between the two and not knowing what's coming next and not being able to, to, to get ready for it and not being able to understand it. And we're trying to arrange that. But we're doing it with our 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 mind, this separate thing. And uh and so I would like try to pleasure myself. Like literally, jack off, uh sit and watch TV instead of move around, which sucks. Uh read, but then uh, watch a movie. Do something pleasurable because doing something unpleasurable just grinds you in your, grounds you in your body more. So I was just turned into this lump, but every pursuit of pleasure that I did to get out of my body was only making it harder for me to be aware of what is actually happening. And so of course I became very quickly a very, very bad hypochondriac. Every pain in my body became fatal. This is going to kill me. Because it really was my fear of what I was doing to myself sublimated. Like I knew that the things I was doing were bad for my health. Therefore, I would die earlier than I would otherwise. So I had that knowledge that I didn't want to face, though, because I could ignore it. But that comes out then in my body, my brain, as a separate thing. It's like an intermediary uh, 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 hologram version of the world says, oh, uh, yeah, no, that's killing you. You have cancer. Because I cannot be morally dissuaded from doing the most pleasurable thing because nobody's stopping me. And in fact, the market is telling me that's what I should do. And in fact, all these things are worthy pursuits. And in one way or another, I, I should be doing them. And that me doing them is worth it. The, 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 the pain and misery of the world, of the, the, the howling screams of misery that are, are pulled out of the earth to, to allow me to do this are worth it. So I could only, so I could only express, so there's no God, right? There's no God overhead. Like that Puritan figure has now been extinguished by modernity. There can only be fear of my death as in the time when uh, I am no longer God, when I am dethroned as God, a thing that as time goes on becomes harder to process as to spend more and more time in your head reifying this thing. And as you're driven into anxiety by these feelings that if you were grounded in your body, you would be able to understand and process and not let them spike your heart rate and make you fearful.
And I mean, that's why, why the opium epidemic is literally bodies in pain trying to get out of pain you know, in a, with, with, with an exterior thing because we don't have the ability to do it ourselves. We literally don't have the ability to do it ourselves. We feel it. We feel our soul just screaming because we are more aware of death every moment. and We are literally feeling it in our bodies in different ways. We are ignoring those feelings and turning them into these boogeymen to, to, to wake us up. These feelings are our brain's check engine light telling you this is a problem. And the thing is, drugs are a necessary way at this end of history to deal with this realistically. Because every context, all throughout civilization, you have exploitation on one hand and then human beings trying to establish a stable social order on the other. Those two things are happening at the same time. One is driving the other. Because once you have settled uh, agricultural civilization, you have a situation where the pain of living is now no longer being distributed equitably through a social body. It is being hierarchically assigned. Now, this is a necessary condition for civilization is the thing. This is where anarchists are wrong. This is where this, Marx is correct. Marx, this is like the deep shit that I think makes Mark, Mark, Bakunin BTFO, in my opinion, is that as we see on the Senegalese Islands and in, in the Amazon, uh, in, a, in, a, in a fecund uh, material context, the hunter-gatherer tribal mode of human civilization is essentially uh, uh, eternal. It is homeostatic. It's not going to go anywhere. What changes it is the introduction of scarcity into the environment, the requirement to adapt to survive. Now, adapting to survival is how you literally, this is how you get a social evolution. This is how social evolution works. It works at the same time and alongside individual evolution. And the two are a single process. And so humans adapted to survive in their specific geographic environment and in so doing created hierarchies because that division of labor is necessary for an efficient exploitation of the environment, which you need to use to create the technology to... uh, to do what you can't individually and uh, collectively as people, which is adapt to the environment, distribute resources. And that means some people are going to have to sit in rooms and think of what to do while other people are, are working because there is an unequal distribution of talents in the universe. And they have to be gathered around facilities if they are to, uh, be effective. Now, the thing is, is in those early days, in the very early era, there is an assumption, I'm sure, of the people creating the system that, okay, yeah, they'll do the hard work, we'll do the easier work, but it'll be okay because, you know, we're all in this together. And at first they are. But then over time, the reality of spending most of your day at physical labor versus sitting around or training to do military service 
creates a cultural gap and creates two new competing uh, orders, classes, within this thing that had previously been a unified social organism. It splits the cell. And now that hierarchy and that technology are going to go to work on the people within them and create classes around positions of power within them. And those are going to change over time. Because remember, we're creating a stable system, right? This technology, this social technology, this actual technology, this will allow us to thrive in this uh, environment. But the environment changes. Resources are depleted. Action creates reaction. And the system cannot see them and adapt to them because it is wired around maintaining this class's uh, uh, hedonic uh, uh, cocoon, which they want now more than they want their species to survive or to live in a fucking in, in any kind of harmony with anything. They want the, they want their position within the hierarchy to be maintained. And then the history of class struggle that Marx talks about is these two classes going to war. Now the thing is, well. It is pressure from below that breaks up the thing. That pressure is always going to be harnessed to one faction within the sitting around group because being in the sitting around group gives them technological advantages over the people who do not have access to that time, literally to that time, to that unalienated time. That time when you're feeling good. That time when you are thinking, yeah, you know, this social uh, system is actually good and I like it. It's good for me because you're associating pleasures with it. Now, at the bottom, and the reason your conflict is emerging is those people increasingly see the system as the cause of their misery. But they're insufficiently, uh, they are compelled by like either slavery or later more refined technologies like like feudalism or capitalism. They are kept away from the social formations that would allow them to uh, assert control of the technology of hierarchy. And you see that fight through all of your world history, the emergence, the, the, uh, the, the stasis of feudalism broken up by the Black Death in Europe, capitalism emerging. And the capitalist mode of production creates something that is new in history. The lower half of that equation that I was talking about uh, being turned into the type of people that are on the top of the distribution. That the technology and the proximity of working of, of uh, the working class would allow them essentially to use time more efficiently the same way that the ruling class does by writing newspapers, by taking, by acting uh, within a, like, uh, a self-interested context, cooperating uh, along like a class line that is not what they're telling you. Like You have to come to class consciousness against everything you're being taught by your social order. You have to break against it, and you need help doing that. You need help to sustain that breach.
And this is the first time we have a class for itself at the lower end. Now, at the top end, they're not really of themselves, but their self-interest binds them. Their individual neurotic personal self-interest is identical, no matter where they are within that divide side of the divide. On the other side of it, there is this fundamental alienation that grows greater over time, but has a harder time being politically uh, useful absent something like a working class. And Marx's vision, which I think is still correct in every meaningful sense, is that once you have this working class that can more efficiently utilize time to create structures of power, hierarchy, and technology that are not based on the individual desires of a bunch of uh, capitalists, but on the collective social desires of a self-conscious working class. That they claim they battle with capitalism for control of that technology. And that was the 20th century. The lo- I'd say the long 20th century, hell, started in 1848. Started with the, with the, with the, uh, with the festival of the nations or whatever. But ended in 1989. Because once you have the fall of the Soviet Union, you have the fall of a project that is understood to be working class self-organization. And now we are in the aftermath of that. So we have these social forms that were created by this process in a moment after the extinguishment of the conflict. I think we can say in a real sense, Marx predicted that the struggle between classes results in one winning or the common ruin. And I'm afraid we are in the early stages of the common ruin. Now, that doesn't mean humanity is doomed. And it certainly doesn't mean that there's no reason to do anything in life, but, but hedonically enjoy. As we've discussed, it builds up. It builds up. You are Reikianly armoring yourself every second as you pursue any kind of black-pilled lifestyle. Because no matter what pleasure you're getting out of it, your body is registering a constant and increasing cringe as every cell of your body is freaking out about your fucking, uh, your, um, the fact that your body has a goddamn fucking alarm clock in it that is going to go off and you're not going to be God anymore. And that, that is the individual version of the social crisis that emerge around revolutionary moments. And the reason that this is, this is like a meaningful distinction here when you say the working class is the first to come into itself. The fact is, is that while Mark, while Mark said previous, um, you know, the previous eras of uh, human social production, like slave society and feudalism, you had a class in conflict and then one winning. But it really was, in all cases, a civil war within a ruling class. Different types of rulers at war with each other. And um, traditionally it has been rulers who have uh, organized themselves around different types of capital. Capital that is uh, embodied in like the, the total abstractions of the market, the international capital, 
or the grounded, geographically defined capital of like national capital. And that's why like we're now in this post-89 world seeing what looks like this titanic battle between the left and right, but is in fact a, like all previous uh, class extinguishing civil wars, uh, a internecine battle within the ruling class. Represented by the Republican and Democratic parties, representing in turn national uh, capital and international capital. These are simply people who have all benefited from capitalism, are all deeply invested in maintaining capitalism, but have felt increasingly alienated from the social order as their ability to enjoy themselves in it declines, i.e. boomers. I'm talking about it at the political level here because this is just a puppet show for us to watch while the real uh, worms are turning uh, outside of the democratic process. And so it is the civil war between the boomers, the people who in the 60s believed either whether they were right or left, the middle class of the 60s believed and, and the workers believed too at this point. This is the thing. It was a, it was a, it, there was a, a situation where you had workers who were part of a, a meaningful part of a political pr- project and, and, and had uh, power and, and coordination and, and the ability to assert workers' class interests as like an actual pole of identity and activity. But it was this, it was a three-part stool. But that broke away in the 70s. The Democratic Party no longer relied on the working, on, on the labor movement for money, and that was the end of that. And that gave us this symbolic battle between the two the last people in America to believe that America, that America's political institutions are meaningful. We're talking about the last people to experience America on an upward trajectory for most of their lives. These are people who saw things get better in their adult lives. They fought as kids to make things better because they thought they had control of political institutions. And they lived that way. They, they, they acted that way. And a lot of them did want to create a transcendent moment. They wanted to get where communism should get you, which is a collective consciousness shift. I do think that that is the teleology of, of Marxism, and I think it is where the human race is destined to arrive somewhere, sometime. I think it has already happened. Not necessarily, though, in this universe. And so now politics is dominated by these people who tried to change the whole universe. I want, I want, I want to be anything I want, which means to be a capitalist consumer subject. Uh, but I also want everybody else to have that too, so I don't feel guilty. That was the uh, new left in a nutshell. It was the children, suburban children of uh, of the suburbs who had experienced lives that were idyllic in a way that no human experience had ever been democratized luxury that had never been a human, never existed in human history. And this new class of people who thought, my God, 
I could do anything. We can do anything and tried to do it, but could only do it as individuals because at this point they were no longer hooked to the working class movement. It had been broken after the war. Red Scare and the Taft-Hartley bill ripped the heart and soul of the labor movement. It still is a part of influence. It's still there as a, as a uh, player at the table. And you can still, as a, as a working class person in the 60s, vote for Democrats and have that help you and understand it to help you. But its ability to respond to changing events has been destroyed because now it is uh, socially reactionary. And that breakup happened because it wasn't strong enough. And I honestly think it's because we there's a way we could have gone after World War II and we didn't. And all those things that were going to burst forth and, and subsume the American cultural landscape and br- create the current, uh, like, schizophrenic uh, uh, American identity, it was the fact that we we had we 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 were losing you can look at this stuff sort of as like a a, a cultural nervous breakdown as a society becomes self-aware and realizes the limits of its uh mortality like that's that could be the 60s like if if the great depression is the america reaching the edges of its viability as an individual state as a project of land accumulation like that shock happens And then there is enough of a working class momentum to build an actual material machinery to address that, which is what the New Deal was. But it was a compromise with capitalism. A compromise that led to a truce during the Great, uh, uh, the great Patriotic War. But then when hostilities resumed after the war, I think for a lot of reasons, I think Truman being president, being a significant one of them, uh, the working class was not able to uh, resist the counter-revolution. But it still had, but the deal that had been struck for high wages, a seat at the table, control, like real influence over the domestic policy of the, of the Democratic Party, my God, and increasingly the Republican Party too, like Eisenhower codifies the New Deal, This is upward momentum for everybody. This is life going to be better for everybody, life better for my kids. So it felt like it was a real thing, but it was unmoored to the cultural questions that their kids were going to have because those are the questions not of working class people who went through the trauma of the Depression and World War II and then got a nice piece of land and didn't want to lose it and people who took that shit for granted and who wanted their government to reflect their values. And they tried, but they could only try alone. And so they thrashed and fraught and, 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 and were crushed. The, the state did a hell of a lot to do that. COINTELPRO did a lot to do that. MKUltra did a lot, honestly, I think, to do that. The assassinations, the fucking deep state just deciding, like in Italy, to, say, to supplement the, the, uh, the edifice of capitalist democracy uh, with this iron hand, which is inevitable and necessary. This is the system kicking into self-preservation. This is the immune system of capitalism kicking in. Okay, you guys have had your democratic fun, but let's get serious here. And what happened was we all learned. We all reckoned at the end of the 60s, okay, 
we can't change this thing. What are we going to do? And the avenues that were open to us by capitalism were, well, if you already have a little money or you can imagine getting some, you can be anything. You can do anything, but just you. And for a broad cross-section of America, that was a good deal. California ideology that underpinned the Internet was a bunch of uh, hippies who came back after the war to realize that uh, their dreams of of transcending the miseries of capitalism that they understood to be deeper than just, uh, you know, um, that that, that were deeper and more, uh, more spiritual and existential than just uh, a matter of material exploitation. Um, They could still dream of making that happen. Still, still dream of a truly democratized space online, the new frontier. The frontier that always emerges to let us imagine, to let off steam. For the for that class, for those hippies, it was either Silicon Valley or just uh, the humanities department. Those were the two places you could go. You could go into the the, the, the dream of the internet, or uh, or or teaching the new next generation of kids all these ideas about uh, about class that you learned in books. For the uh, people who didn't give a shit about any of that. Their, their parents, the, the homeowners, they got homeownership as a guarantee of uh, investment in the system. Your taxes are going to go down and the value of your home is going to go up. You're not going to go up. You're not going to get higher wages, but you're going to get that. And you're going to be able to access credit markets from that equity. That's a deal. Now we're at the end state where all of these people, the people who, the hippies who got bought off, with uh, with their mind palace and the hippies who got bought off uh, and the hippies and the squares who got bought off with um, with home ownership. And of course, there are a lot of the same people like these. The, the comfortable hippies are homeowners. That's why they're so fucking happy imagining making things better in this in the cyber realm or with their politics or like caring so much about Black Lives Matter. It's because they're very comfortable and they're happy about it, but they're also guilty about it. The squares and the reactionaries aren't guilty, but their lives aren't as good anymore. Their lives suck because they're old. They're going to die. They're going to give it all up. Forgetting the fact that they're bored with it all anyway, they can only feel their bodies. They feel their bodies. Their bodies are in pain. They're in misery at every moment, and they don't know why. They cannot correlate their physical sensations to an accurate understanding of the world. They're filtering through an entire life of neuroses of living out the schizophrenic break of the post sixties world. And so it is a schizophrenic break that creates two cultural uh, poles around two political parties. Because in this new realm, you are, Free to do anything as long as it's spend and consume and create an identity through that consumption. And that includes voting and rooting for people in politics just like it does sports. And so these things are intertwined and part of the same process. So these people vote to reaffirm their identities. 
the majority of Democrats and Republicans, because everybody else, nobody else believes in it anymore. Everybody who came later or is the same age but didn't get that has given up long ago in this system giving anybody anything. So they have a rightful total disillusionment with the political system. Some of them still vote, but they are disillusioned from the system. These people still fucking believe this shit. And that's why they have to create fantasies. That's why you have to have the, uh, the, the fucking Q, QAnon deep state pedophile network to be your enemy. And uh, you have to imagine if you're a liberal that there's that uh, Tucker, the Nazis, and Putin are going to come and destroy you. It's schizophrenia. It is one identity that cannot reconcile itself. And that is what we're all trying to do is reconcile our identities. But doing that requires being in your body. And that's easier for some people to do than others. And this is why, traditionally, the, uh, the wise men of a religion tend to find a way for it to actually be good that they get to uh, just sit around all the time. Like, you know what? I understand you're working for this stuff, but don't worry. I'm going to say some really cool shit to you. Like, that's the priestly class for anything. And it's now people like the media, social media stars, myself, just the new priestly class. To tell you that it's okay that you're working so that I don't because I got some stuff to tell you. And the thing is, they do. They're not lying. They're important. You need to have the fucking monks there. You need to have people who can sit on some fucking, sit on some anxiety and try to make sense of it. So that you can make sense of your pain. But the thing is, is if you look at that without good faith and others' intentions, it becomes uh, horrible to contemplate because that means everybody is a, say it with me now, grifter. Everybody is a damn grifter. Because we assume the bad faith of everyone else because of our own bad faith. Because politics is pleasure, sport, play, and spectacle. And our pain around politics is not real pain. It is redirected pain that we use to spin a narrative that gives us pleasure. And that means that we're not good faith political actors. So we go out to, to, to do what we think we have to. We, we go to do our duty but it's piggybacked on top of our just id-like desire to indulge. And that is why the task of social, the, 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 the human being in these, in these enmeshed, is enmeshed always in these structures. The structures are there to determine every moment of their life, but this is the important thing. The structures, the determinative structures that we are enmeshed in, the, the clockwork logic of stimulus and response that we are, or that we are made up of and the reality of which denies the, the possibility of free will, that is real. Those actions do happen. And they often form the basis of our of our decisive action and therefore abnegate our free will, but they don't entirely because 
We are not fully aware of them. It is our ignorance that gives us free will because we're getting at the other side of these feelings, right? So you get a sensation of some kind. At a certain point, it disappears. Then it comes back as symbols. Then it comes back as visual and then later uh, linguistic, sensory, packaged, abstracted symbols of the thing. And the, and the, the closer you are attuned to that transaction, the better you're going to get, the, 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 the closer to what your body is actually experiencing you're going to get. But over time, as you're being traumatized, as your attention is being pulled out of your body because it ter- hurts too much to be in it, your ability to uh, correlate gets obstructed. And you build a world that is not that actual world you live in. You build a hologram that you live inside. And you live in the hologram, the matrix, but when you act, it actually acts on the real world. And it causes reactions. So you break up at every point the cause and effect uh, structure. And the way that works is everything has happened. There is indeed a multiverse where everything, every possible movement of an atom is accounted for. Consciousness moves through this space, building up a narrative that corresponds to what that body is feeling. But it is moving through these universes. It is not actually moving the body. The body is going to move depending on that rigorous uh, billiard ball causality. But which mind is in it? That's determined by the mind. That is you stepping through the quantum gate. Now, you're going to largely be determined, like where you end up in that is going to be determined by the structures you live under. Not just the material structures, value systems, symbolic orders, experiences with people, and the way that you correlate those people to symbolic orders, what your body senses, how it experiences things. Is great. Like I don't have a lot. I have way fewer options than I used to to be what what kind of life I'm going to have and what I'm going to have, what's going to happen in it, and what's going to happen when I die and all that stuff. I had more options earlier in my life. I had more options earlier, but at every point, those options are being winnowed down by the forces of the universe. But the specific shape of it is an experiential phenomenon. It is me remembering things. I am remembering them across and through this gauze, this quantum gauze of, of multiverses. So like think of it as a, think of the universe, all universes, as like a, just a fucking giant bowling ball, like a giant basketball, right? Just filled with possibilities. Every, every item, every, every, every single uh, piece of matter ever. They can be arranged in different ways, right? Well, no, they're that at, at a given point they're fixed, right? Because we know within the, the causality we understand it. There is a, a a deterministic element here. Like you can you're only thinking about something after you experience it, and that means that it's been caused. 
And then, so you have all these atoms, little points, little points in space time all throughout. And then the individual consciousness is essentially a little ghost playing connect the dots within this basketball. Does this make sense? That is how you square, in my mind, free will and determinism. Is that yes, everything is fully determined. But which universe you're experiencing is determined by your choices, which are mostly overdetermined by your structures, but not entirely, because you are still there. You are still in your body in a moment, which gives you the ability, the hypothetical ability to actually take that feeling that thread of sensation reach through that black hole where it's bring brought into uh, abstraction and then pull it out and actually feel connected fully through a chain of, of reasoning and emotion uh, to emotion, reasoning to emotion. And this is all that the religions seek to do is to give you symbols that are packed enough with positive emotional uh emotional sensation, memory of pleasure, that when you see them, when you think about them, you feel that way. And if you feel that, that will change the way you react to the world, that you, you interact with the world. It will change how you react to stimuli. Bad things won't feel the same way. Good things won't feel the same way. The same Grooves that rep- repetition has put in your brain will not operate the same way. And you can, in fact, regroove your brain. But what you're actually doing, even though if you look at the brain in a microscope, it'll say, yeah, no, this brain is regrooved. In reality, what happened is there's a universe where your brain wasn't grooved. There's a universe where your brain's grooved. When that gets grooved a certain way is different in every universe. And each one of us, if our brain gets grooved in a certain way, has an experience of that happening that makes it happen, but it's determined by the choices they make. And so this is like, this is what all the great religious traditions seek. Like if you're smart in a certain way, not like smart basically means you are able to abstract down symbols to a certain degree of um, of pleasure, basically, that you can do them in a way that totally invests your attention. Like, that is what sharpness is to me. And it varies based on all the other stimuli places you're getting, like what signals you're getting from X, Y, and Z, and, like, how you then um, are able to express them. And those things are determined by your biology and by what your biology encounters. So we all have different skills and abilities because of that. And the challenge of life is to orient those pleasant sensations, those things that make you think there's nothing to worry about, like like a feeling beyond just a, a, a pleasure, pleasure standing in for the fact that you wrote this program. This is your fucking game. You are the one in charge of this thing. You are the projector of the hologram. But what that means is that you are also literally the goddamn universe. And that you are standing in the uh, 
in the tension between those two things that will resolve. And there, and when it resolves, it will resolve on your terms because you're there. The thing that's preventing you from thinking that is that we have an ego structured out of necessity to pilot this body along narrow self-interest, but that in so doing puts us closer and closer to death because our bodies are saying one thing. We are doing the opposite. Therefore, we are pulling ourselves to death. Our body makes more and more noise. Like our body, and I'm not, I'm not talking like, you know, tumors or anything like that. I'm just talking about just not even things you could necessarily sense. Like a lot of anxiety I feel is like, is, 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 is detecting bad physical sensations and then filtering them through your neuroses instead of confronting them for what they are, because you're in this fantasy ego land. And at a certain level, when the question becomes, you now are going to go across there's a bridge that you have to cross to godhood that requires breaking up and destroying the ego. But that is where all value resides. That is what good and bad are. And we have no understanding outside of uh we have no understanding of good or bad outside of that. But that's only if we have spent our time wiring our brains towards self-annihilation because death approaching slowly and being aware of it as it's unfolding should move you through a series of insights that will literally pilot your body through space-time to the sensation of full Unity of consciousness. But there's a catch. In order to see it that way, when the actual unfolding of demise happens, you have to have faith that that other is out there, that that other is you, that, that your reasoning is solid, that you're on the right track, literally the right mind track. If you're not, you will pull up, you will project with whatever brain power you have left for the rest of your life, visions of torment and misery meant to to punish you as a way to imaginatively process the fear that you're feeling as your body is feeling the sensation of death. Now, of course, The way to avoid that is, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm dead. You get the big white light. You don't have to reckon with anything. And that is the death that we seek subconsciously. And in pursuing it, we make hell for ourselves. We think we're getting it off easy, but in reality, we are making it so that we make the world around us worse We make our own lives worse. We feel worse, and we feel worse about other people. And then you die, 
Like this is why I think the great one of the great films. I do think that Uncut Gems is brilliant in a, in a way that is deep beyond just like a fun movie. Like Howard Ratner is essentially a Kabbalist. He is an unconscious Kabbalic master. Howard Ratner knows he's going to die. As we all do. But he knows it and he knows it deeply and to a deep sensation because he has been whittled into a being of perception by his life experience, by his, uh, by the brain, the body, and, and, and the life that he was inherit that he inherited. He knows that. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to cease to be. He also knows that there is a universal consciousness. He knows that there is a God that he will be one with. But he cannot imagine the sacrifice of pleasure it would take to meet him, to meet it, to meet everything without fear. He could think about God all day, and it'll only make him feel his own pain more. And as he, and so he gambles. He gambles to seek the divine. He gambles to get that feeling. To him, in his mind, it's just the feeling of winning. But it's not. It's that sense of no thinking, no thought, the sense of all of that, but not as an extinguishment as a apotheosis. He wants that feeling. And he engineers his life beautifully through the, through the, through the divining of the Kabbalah such that he will go out at the very top of his life, which means that he can meet that moment of happiness, moment of reunion without fear. And that is the flip, that's, that's the catch of this, is that this means that you have to always be thinking present about your body, being in it. And for me, this is very difficult. I spent my first half of my life, I mean, we'll see, it could be the whole of my life. I could be dead soon, who knows? I mean, I do have a persistent thing that like is that I, I recognize is, is, the, is the, my immune system, my ego's immune system kicking in, which is to say, oh, this is all happening, like your spiritual awakening and bullshit and like your new vocabulary. This is literally like your body being aware, like, like feeling below your level of perception, something changing, something deadly, and that you're responding here by trying to get to a point of uh, uh, acceptance. Before it's too late. Before it's too late. And I think that's true to an extent, but the thing is, of course, my, bo- my, my brain, my subconscious, is not perceiving my bodily experience, my pains, as they actually are being generated by. I can't. It is captured to deep, subterranean structures of meaning, which means that feelings that I have and have had my entire adult life are experienced at like the lagonadal primal fear level 
as threats to life. Now, if I had spent the years since my injury in my body, that probably would be true. So I understand that my life is like me having to basically hone myself, hone down this like edifice of, of neuroses of, of, of egotistical self-creation that I have. Like I have basically determined for myself what level of discomfort I am based. I am able to sit on and what actions feel good in that context. Basically I am trying to have been trying to, like a TV, uh, like an old TV antenna, try to orient myself in a way that I can correlate the good feelings in my body, the good moments in my life, to that sense, that knowledge, that symbolic representation of a feeling that gets lost in the translation. A bridge and my ability to recognize my bad feelings as coming from my uh, insistence on continually reascribing this ego. But this is all part of understanding my limitations. That's, that's becoming my uh, real motto. Clint Eastwood and I believe Magnum Force, a man's got to know his limitations. I talked before about this with Billy Joel versus uh, Garth Brooks and everything. Given what I really think about how the mind works now, what I really believe, like deeper than anyone is going to convince me I'm wrong, I do think that it is possible as a human being to spend enough time, like in your body, to fulfill like the highest levels of enlightenment and achievement, like Bodhisattva like the fucking Taoist alchemical process. Absolutely. I also believe that it is possible to be a believing Christian or Muslim, not in the sense of that they believe so hard that they have to punish others for their lack of belief because it only reminds them of their lack of belief. I mean, people who correlate God to the actual universe and not to just their ego which is what most monotheists do at this point. But most everybody does at this point. That's what, he, that's what capitalism has done to us. And of course, part of me wants to be one of those guys. Oh my God, who wouldn't? To just be like an immortal uh, sword emperor or whatever the fuck? Or like obviously not like literally, but in the mind, like able to harness the power of the mind, the 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 unused and unusable without practice capacities of the mind to drill so deeply into experience as to be one, like to stay there or just below there for like a large portion of your human life. I think that's possible. I also think it's not going to be me. It ain't going to be the fucking fat old American who spent his entire life until very recently doing rituals of misery, reinscribing the opposite of the truth 
on every inf- every feeling I've ever had. As a, I, I've been living in my own head, building this Luciferian temple that I thought was the world. And now it's my body, and it's like, these grooves are deep. And if I try to, like, press against them, I know I sure as shit know that I'm going to have to use, like, drugs and shit. And that guarantees that there's no way this body is going to hold on for that state for very long. I would destroy myself. I'm going to have to accept either some kind of just up or if I do have a little bit of time and and the motivation of, of mortality to really focus, I can work through it. But it's going to be, it's going to involve a lot of fear and pain and a lot of old um, structures, grooves that are going to have to be rewired. Like I'm going to have to shift significantly off of this axis. And I feel like I am. But it is that sense that I am, you know, still, still not there, that I'm not attuned. That helps pull me, I think, I hope, in the right direction. Like right now, I'm able to say, I feel good enough about what I'm doing here. The other projects I've got going, we're going to start doing a lot more stuff. I feel like it is not hurting anybody, at least as little as something like engaging in the monstrous murder festival of uh, Western capitalism can be. It's not hurting anybody. And of course, it's hurting people. My God, it's hurting millions of people. Their screams are echoing, but here's the thing. Taking that misery and putting it on your individual discrete actions as a person in capitalism is an act of neuroses. It is, you are too distanced from the pain to register it properly. Because you are an ego and you have to filter everything through an ego, you have to, when you encounter this misery and you want to give it the name of a human solidarity because you are a a civilized person, you want to take responsibility. But you can't. Not in a way that will be commensurate with your participation in the system and your distance from changing it. Yes, you can do politics, but you're still going to be consuming You're still going to be at the end of the supply chain and you're never going to be able to do anything enough to make up for that unless you fetishize it, unless you turn it into a ritual of performance. You think you're doing politics. You think you're fighting for rights, but you are actually indulging your your ego. Now, the thing is, these motivations are going to uh, power most bourgeois revolutionaries and have throughout history powered bourgeois revolutionaries. That's not the problem. The problem is that in previous generations, those bourgeois revolutionaries were hooked into a actual mass working class movement that had democratic accountability throughout it. And that enforced courses of action that broke through the bourgeois narcissistic miasma of their leaders and allowed them to act in accordance with understanding of what's going on around them. Now we exclusively have, at the most active edge, 
in terms of the spectacle. I'm talking about posting. The media creation that we then interact with that makes us, that makes for our understanding of the world and of politics. And that is about where that's where the that's where the limitations come in. Ask yourself what what right now can I do right now? What if I don't feel good? Why don't I? What should I be doing that I'm not? And more importantly, why don't I want to do it? If you do know what you what you should be doing and you don't do it, that builds up this anxiety that then gets turned into these fantasies and and. And and uh, and ghouls and projections of of uh, of oppression and uh, and judgment. So if you do know what you should be doing, you do know it feels in one sense what you should be doing. Then find out why you're not. And then reorient yourself. That's what I am, in my own way, trying to do. Like, I find that as I, if I sit around too much, I really can't enjoy it. And then I can either try to fix that by intensifying the experience of sitting around, or I can do something else that feels good. And even though my body hurts right now, I can feel it. I feel my pain. And it is, in some senses, Emotionally a little overwhelming because I am very, very connected to it uh, as like this, the way that I structure my ego, which is trying to defend itself and which I have to immediate at some point, if not permanently defeat, break. And the way I can do that is choosing to do things that reinforce feelings of harmony, break up and reduce that feeling of of doing the wrong thing. And that is how you square the question of like, oh, no ethical consumption under capitalism. No ethical consumption as socialism? Of course not. But you have a duty to yourself to do what you think is right. And just saying no ethical consumption under capitalism just patches over it and leaves you feeling worse. So yeah, that's why I've, I've come to terms with, see, this is, this is where I really think I've come to terms with my hypochondria. I have not fixed the thought that I am going to die soon. I really, I really have not, I've given up trying to argue myself rationally out of the belief. What I've done instead, or what I'm trying to do, is to feel that and then remind myself that that's cool that that's fine, that you can handle it, that you know how this works. Not specifically, and it's the specifics that fuck us up. As we get closer to it, we get more anxious. We need proof. We need more and more and more proof because we don't have the feeling. But at a certain point, our hand falters. And if our hand falters and our body is giving us signals that it can't comprehend, 
and is going to fall back on that old programming, you will be cast into some sort of torment. Not permanently, no. That's the thing. Nothing I can't handle. I'll still be there at the end of it with everything. And even if I don't understand completely, even if I don't get that aha moment, which I probably won't, which very, very few people historically have, it won't matter because I will be able to cross a bridge of faith. I will be able to have enough stored associations with certain memories and symbols that they can bridge that uh, logic gap that can't be filled because there's always going to be the remainder that cannot be resolved for. Because that is the inflection point of, uh, of abstraction before it is by definition ineffable. All right. So does that make some sense? I know I got in the weeds there a little bit. I was talking about trying to imagine the universe as like a ball with things going through it. And I realized like a moron that it's a fucking brain. I mean, I'm not the first person to have said this. This is very banal, but I don't think it gets emphasized enough is that understanding a human life in the universe is not to imagine a person on a planet in a, in a, in a fixed physical environment. It is a neuron firing through a full enclosed brain. It is, it is a electrical charge running from one end to the other of a brain filling in the spot and the entirety of it is, and imagine that like each one of those is like lighted up. And the thing is, they're not all going at once. They're going in different time spaces. They're going in places, but not, they're never going all at once. That's why you can't experience that and why you can't live with it and why you can't be uh, the immortal God emperor because you're always falling away from it. But the course that you take, the experience you have makes up for that synaptic uh, action. And, the, and all of those synaptic functions simultaneously is, is God I know this is uh, this is all so fucking hippie dorm room bullshit, but God damn it, it's true. Everybody realized this in the 60s, and then they just eventually couldn't keep it up. Some of them did. A lot of them burned out, but the system didn't allow them because they got to still be able to pursue pleasure. They got to pursue pleasure. They got to be turned themselves into pleasure lizards. And that's what they did. And that is why their politics is schizophrenic denial of death and why they literally all want to die and why the Republican ones of them are literally killing themselves. Everybody is seeking an end on their own terms. That is what everybody is trying to do. It's just they're doing it with greater or less degree of acuity. Howie Ratner is like the fucking uh is the is the is the anti Buddha. 
Like he is able to get what he wants. But the rest of us, we're only grasping towards it. Now, when I say he gets what he wants and the rest of us don't, that's not really true. As I said, it, it all ends up fine. It, at the last moment's the only one that counts, and it's fine. It's nice. It's good. It's good. There really is nothing to worry about for anybody. Anybody. I know that's hard for some people to hear, but it's true for everybody. It's fine. But our actions are causing other people harm. Our actions can hurt others, and that pain is then, you know, felt, and we feel it. We are the depositories of it, of the pain we cause, and that has to go somewhere. And then that is why, if we're really thinking about death, that end is excruciating because we're thinking of all the pain we caused. We're thinking of our inability to do anything about it. Now, at a certain point, you can forgive yourself, and that is where Jesus and Amitada and Pure Land Buddhism come in. A, bri- a, a symbolic bridge powerful enough, thwarted with association enough to carry you over. The problem is, for most people in our position, those symbols are too raggedy and dead to invest with that meaning. So we have to build new ones. But our un- we have to live as though that weren't true. We have to live as though our consequences have actions because that's what powers us through the thing, and, and that's the engine of the thing. And the question is, what is, our en- what is going to power our engine? What algorithm is going to power our engine? And if it's, our algorithm is one of, that is in tune with like the pursuit of a, of a harmony, we'll create systems that reinforce good behavior, things that make people happy. And then we will invest our institutions, political, social, religious, with meaning. There will be meaning in what we do because we'll feel that we are contributing Positively. We can't do that now. We have been stripped of that ability by capitalism. We fought for it, but we lost. But there is, this doesn't mean that we will necessarily be enslaved by the system and turned into uh, just ants because. There is a mere coercive and consent requirement for any order. Capitalism can only coerce so much. It needs consent, and it's losing that. Now, the problem is there's no working class movement right now to direct that feeling, but there are movements of workers, you know? Like, there still are people out there working. And they still are working together. And they have a vocabulary to bring themselves together using their new, more abstracted notions of social relationships. And they can build something. And that 
that is like the thing that it doesn't matter if it happens or not. This is the thing that's wrong about like thinking of these notions as teleological or saying like, Oh, that like the historical uh, uh, process, the the contradictions stop after the end of uh, class society. It's not true. But even if it did, it wouldn't matter because that state has to be at the basis of how you order politics for politics to make sense for you to decide what is the good thing to do and what's the bad thing to do. Because if you operate from the liberal lens, if you assume, no, we are just disaggregated consciousnesses that must be hierarchically controlled through technologies powered by self-interest, not by people working together, imagining a self that is expansive. If they assume a narrow self-interest is the motive, is the has to be has to be the functional engine of uh, technological hierarchy, then they are going to create Auschwitz. No matter what they think their politics are, or they, they're going to try to anyway, they're going to contribute to it. Because terminal capitalism at the end of uh, the promise of scarcity is a combination of humans at the very top of it, as buffeted as possible from any contact with misery or discomfort. And then at the bottom, a class of increasingly uh, perishable and unnecessary human labor inputs that can eventually hypothetically be replaced entirely by technological uh, intensification. And those are, that's the only political project currently happening. And even though we have to all engage in politics as it is unfolding, we should be aware that that is what we're seeing. We're seeing a civil war within the petty bourgeois of America, the ones who vote over whether we're going to have a hierarchy of blood and nation or a hierarchy of uh, meritocracy combined with social justice. Because in capitalism over time, there just ain't enough surplus to go around. Somebody has to go hungry at someone else's expense. And if you have fully developed capitalist institutions of power, those decisions are being made entirely by people who want and understand at a deep level that their real job is sorting out the people. The right... The landed gentry, the geographically fixed, less abstract capital, wants it to be something that is not abstract. They want it to be skin color and language and religion and nationality. Something you can fucking see and hear. The most abstracted, the liberal bourgeois, the cosmopolitan people in in touch with uh, the knowledge sector and, and finance, want an abstracted meritocracy. 
one around ability and morality. People who have risen of their own uh, combination of ability and morality, not just people who are smart, but moral smart people. And the thing is, is that moral smart people can't be moral in the sense that it has been developed by liberal society at its most refined edge if they are racist because their entire political project has been about feeling okay with being in the, ca- in, in the bosom of capitalism. And they do that by disavowing responsibility. They have to hate somebody. The landed, the landed uh, bourgeois, they just hate the poor. They hate the other. The bourgeois knows you can't hate the other. The, bourgeois, the, the, the liberal bourgeois knows you're supposed to love the other because civic morality really is the same basic, uh, like, you have, you have uh, religions are all expressing differently, you know, the same vital truths. And Christianity does have at its base a hypothetical moral order that is in a tune with what is good, that is in a tune with what you should do, that's in a tune with what other religious traditions say you should do. But of course, it's codified by systems of power and exploitation that have to turn it around. But the desire is still there. The understanding that that's what morality is hypothetically is still there. So that means the modern liberal at the most refined edge of capitalism has essentially a secular Christian morality. And that means that they have to, to be moral, have to act morally, which means saving those among the doomed who don't deserve it. They want them to deserve it. They want the ones who suffer to deserve it, and they want the ones who survive on the inside of the gilded cage to deserve it. And that means punishing racists, and it means uplifting minorities. And that is an ascription, that is a moral goal. It is right to try to do that. If you accept capitalism as the baseline, as the inviolable reality, and if you are working more than anything to preserve it. And that is the if that we must reject. Because it's the same if that underpower that powers the, the right nationalism. Ordering of misery. Who gets hurt most? Who goes in? Who gets to be on the inside looking out? Who has to be on the outside looking in? That's it. And taught and like, I'm sorry, but a lot of the of the cultural language around toxic masculinity and shit like that 
is really about sorting the worthwhile from the un. And college exists to sort the unworthy from the worthy. We don't have God to tell you who deserves it. We have the Ivy League and the Big Ten. We have this, uh, the California uh, state school system. We have NYU. And that is why the liberal uh, formula for, uh, uh, for social justice after the fall of the working class power and the beginning of neoliberalism was uh, university meritocracy plus affirmative action. Now, of course, affirmative action has been shown to not really help with concentrated poverty in black communities. What it has done is it has given an easier route to middle class black kids. And for the liberal meritocrat, the left meritocrat, that's fine because now these people, these people who deserve it among the blacks are going to now be on the inside and are now going to be welcomed into the social sphere and can reflect to me my own virtue when I see them. That's the most important part. And more importantly, these will be people who went to college, who got the fucking skill set, who understood the manners of of, uh, totally abstracted finance capital and its cultural superstructure. And, And that's all that the left, broadly speaking, in this country can fight for because it's just backdrafting the Democratic Party. We as individuals have to just identify that and engage with politics with that as an, un- as an assumption. Not taking a side on this stuff as a partisan, thinking that you're going to uh, advance anything. No, you're advancing the wheel of this neurotic, this, this cultural nervous breakdown. It's all working within these structures to generate the momentum that they need. Just like capitalism is a flow, media and culture is a flow. It can't be static. It requires movement, but movement between our, uh, poles that are essentially uh, unresolved cultural neuroses. But capitalist flow is consumptive. As it flows, it destroys. Which is not true of other natural systems. Other natural systems find limits. And then respond to those limits. But because this, this social organism is commandeered at the top by people who have, who have turned themselves into God... They cannot recognize limitations.
And that's why the next stage of history, if we should reach it, which is, has to be considered an advanced stage, is one where that dynamic is arrested, where a, where a, where a complex social organism of humanity using technology to distribute pain, basically, and labor through a system while maintaining a cultural, cultural structure and maintaining um, free time for all would be the inevitable outcrop, would be the eventual uh, outcome of a, uh, of a, some group of humans operating from a spiritual understanding, I would say, of uh, human interconnectedness. However you want to say it, I don't want to use, I don't think it'll be any language we currently have because they're all exhausted. These are all ragged banners. All, every believe, every one of these things that we have believed in, we have seen in our lives lose all credibility. But just because, if for no other reason than the alternative is the destruction of the entire biome and the end of the human experiment, eventually you get to equilibrium, where the where the body can pull back and say that's enough. Be able to sit in silence in a room and not have to be somewhere else. Not as an individual, but as a society, as in. Social structures organized to reproduce behavior, to reinforce ideas, to reinforce connections between feeling good and other people, and the structures of government and, and, and hierarchy that those people create. And this is, once again, I'm getting back to the problem with anarchism. It's the hierarchy is necessary. The hierarchy is how you effectively distribute information through the system. But the hierarchy does not have to confer with it social stratification and asymmetry of pain felt and comfort enjoyed. The hierarchy is the same hierarchy that the human body has, where some parts tell other parts what to do. Some things do other work that others do, but none feel aggrieved by it. All are sustained by it, and all of our our feelings, things we can't put into words, things that we used to talk about in religious terms, things that we're grasping now madly to try to find a new vocabulary for, can be imbued with that idea of humanity. And then people, not everyone, and not at the same amount, but enough and over large enough groups Enough times and over large enough groups will make decisions that keep the thing going. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be continued contradiction. But at a, at a different level, a new evolutionary stage. I see this person says, Anarchism isn't against hierarchy. It's against unjust hierarchies. But they think things like the state are inherently unjust hierarchies. And I don't see, there you go. I disagree with that. Because they say the state is an unjust hierarchy. No. 
You need the state. The state was made by capitalism, but also by human beings to deal with the issues of a mass social organism. It would be necessary, at least for a while, to carry out creating a social order where people have faith in their interactions with other people and are re- are uh, positively reinforced by other people. The state manages entropy. Thank you. So that means that no, unless you're going to tell me that anarchists don't don't think that the state is unjust, then I do disagree with them. State structures are those that that a working class could seize to social ends. Now you can point to the Soviet Union all you want. That happened because they f- fundamentally failed at their task, which was to ignite a world revolution. Everything after that was improv. Yeah, that's a good point. Somebody says there are no, it's not about just or unjust. That is the moralism at the heart of anarchism. Just schmushed. That is a necessary structure for human relationships at the level of civilizational complexity. It is a necessary structure. Just unjust doesn't have anything to do with it. In the in a capitalist context, the state is useful. And therefore, just in the only sense that matters, useful. So, please at least tell me that I am not an I am not agreeing with anarchists here, because I feel like I have discovered I am elucidating here a significant difference in belief. Now, of course, I'm not an anarchist, but I'm not a socialist either. I'm just an American. I'm just a consumer. I'm a schmuck. This is all a mind palace I'm making for myself so that I can inscribe actions with meaning. The reason everything is anarchism really in America is because everything is theoretical. The left is a theoretical proposition. Because to act politically in the given in the current moment is to suffer. It's to not have fun by every way that we have defined fun. It is deny ourselves, to deny ourselves the pleasure that we have come addicted to. Myself included, of course. We are operating out of, our our politics are operated out of pleasure-seeking. Not entirely, but... The stuff that's the least fun is the stuff that most has to get done.
And here's where, once again, I run out of road because what is to get done cannot be prescribed. It's being prescribed by people who are in a pleasure dome. I am in a pleasure dome. I am in a stately pleasure dome, decreeing, smoking some opium on that Coleridge shit. But we all have to act also in addition to what we absorb theoretically. And I think there is something to be found in the understanding to yourself what you believe. Because it makes it clearer when you have to do something. Instead of allowing your mind to be clouded by these reflexive, reactive ego defense mechanisms. Got to give it to uh, L. Ron Hubbard. He, he picked a very, very good metaphor. Like L. Ron Hubbard wanted to make some sort of post-Christianity for the jet age. Something that could fill in the spiritual hole of people who had seen God annihilated uh, at Nagasaki and Hiroshima and Auschwitz. And he gave them a story and the basic metaphor that we are inhabited by dead, traumatized ghosts is correct because the traumas of our lives are largely the traumas of our bodies banging off of institutions, structures, other people who have been forged by institutions and structures made by horrified dead ghosts. And I realize, and of course, that's not true, you know, like literally, but it's a way to talk about the anxiety of, of, of being a post-war American, comfortable, more comfortable than ever, but still un, unhappy, still anxious, still feeling a pain that can't be defined. He helped answer it in a way that they'd understand in the sci-fi lingo of that moment. Now, it was a bunch of bullshit, and it created a cult of weirdos because Hubbard was using this true insight to his own personal neurotic uh, ends, which is what happens in the absence of a disciplining mass movement. And like the 70s cult boom was people trying to escape the reality of capitalism's victory. They were trying to get ahead of the mushroom cloud. The pure, and that is an American tradition. Every American burst of like idealism and activism is, is this attempt to get ahead of the mushroom cloud. Like first you had the rise of capitalism in England and those who still sought, even though they were English, even though they were Protestants, still sought community, fled ahead of the mushroom cloud to find it in the woods, but fell apart very quickly because it was a capitalist concern. It was overwhelmed by the, the project of American capital formation. 
more people fled. The Mormons are the next attempt to flee ahead and to establish some sort of community that keeps God in the land. And then they got swallowed up too. The hippies were the first generation to think they could do it collectively because in the 1950s and 60s, it felt like America could literally do anything if it wanted to, if power was exerted. And it felt like power could be exerted. They tried to do it fucking by their sheer will, a phased consciousness shift of humanity. Failed. And then they fled the mushroom cloud, the reckoning of the 70s. But why this moment is different is that at every point, what has sustained the system was the comfort or the promise of comfort of the, the, the lower middle class, the petit bourgeois. The working class had fallen out of organization. They were now basically at the mercy of the, of the bourgeois now. But their pleasure is winding down. And so the po- political sphere is dominated by these psychotic boomers who are tra- denying their death and seeking it simultaneously. But the people younger than them have checked out of this political thing and things are getting worse and worse. And they're going to come to the question of what to do. And it will not be press buttons because they can't afford to press buttons, literally the way that the boomers can. That is where hope comes from. It's not virtue. It is disillusionment. I think a lot of people like to think it's a progressive movement inherently that youth is progressive. Because they're scared of the alternative, which is no, people are being traumatized at a level unfor- un- not before seen amongst people with that access to cultural capital. How are they going to respond to it? It's going to be a lot of misdirected rage. And a lot of it is going to get captured by the existing political structure, but not all of it. And the demands of helping yourself are going to intertwine with the demands to help your neighbor because it's going to be the only way you can. Even if you are at the very end of self-serving, you will not be able to sustain yourself without helping others. And this is not a process that's going to happen in the future. This is a process that is undergoing, has been undergoing, And if it does lead to something, when you look back at it retrospectively, you will see a whole fucking arc that is invisible to us now. And all we can do is try to believe enough in each other, believe enough in the pull that we have towards each other to act in accordance with it and therefore to act not according to what will feel good, but to what will feel good, what will, because we'll still feel bad or our bodies will still feel bad, but the body never feels nothing but misery. The body feels pleasures too. And how do you align the pleasures with someone else? How do you align the pain with this thing that has to change?
All right. I hope some of that made sense. Talk soon, folks. Bye-bye.